Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 20. Tell you what, I'm glad to be with you this morning. Looking forward to this meeting. Uh, But I was up last night with this message on my mind and could not get to sleep. The Lord was just stirring my spirit about this message. And I finally had to just get out of bed and get down on my knees and pray for a while and commit it to the Lord so I could get some rest. And so um, this morning, this message is on the theme of fellowship. The theme of fellowship. Who can I fellowship with? And we're also going to deal with the theme of separation. So two doctrines in there. The biblical doctrine of fellowship and of separation this morning. And we'll just see where this goes. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 20. Just one verse here. That I want to read as we begin. And uh, excited about a lot of things that are going on around here. We wanted to do something a little bit different. This, this event uh, for Valentine's Day is not really a church event per se. We're letting somebody else do the work of taking care of setting up and tearing down and food and so on. But it's just something to be a blessing to the couples in our church to strengthen the marriages of the, of the folks that we have here and the families that we have. So I want to encourage you to, to come. And when you do, we all want to sit together at the same table. So it can sit six per table and uh, you, you want to let us know if you're planning on going so we can get that discount. But it's going to be a real blessing uh, for us in just a time of just having some good fellowship and strengthening our marriages through that. So Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 20. <clears throat> he that walketh with wise men shall be what? Wise. wise. But a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Okay. Pretty plain, right? The Bible's pretty plain. Choose your friends wisely. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this message this morning that you put on my heart. And God, you've stirred my heart about this. This is a warning that someone in here needs, Lord, and likely uh, many of us. And so, Father, I pray that you'd make it easy to preach. Lord, that you'd fill me with your spirit. Help me, Lord, to... to uh, just say what you'd have me to say, Lord, and I pray that you'd help us be good listeners to the Word of God this morning. I know that the Holy Spirit is going to convict everyone in this room, and including me, uh, Lord, and I thank you for that. And I just pray that you'd have your sweet will in your way. Lord, we think of, uh, we think of Ray and Sheila as they're traveling in this, and Lord, and anyone else that we might know, we pray for traveling, safety, And Lord, uh, sure thank you for the country that we live in and the road systems that we live in. But this time of year, people uh, get a little too brave and a little too confident of themselves and people get into accidents. And I just pray that you'd protect our brother and our sister and uh, bless them as they go on their way to visit with their family. Now be with us here today and be with the young people in Children's Church, Lord. I pray that as they grow up, they grow up strong and grow up and, and, uh, and physically, but I pray that they'd also grow up and, and grow in grace and in the knowledge of the truth and that they would come to know Jesus as Savior and serve Him as Lord. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, so the subject uh, that we're dealing with here this morning from this verse is uh, fellowship. And I want to preach on this morning a companion of fools. In order to do that, I have to talk about fellowship or companionship. 
Now, fellowship is a good Bible word. It means sharing or communion in its most basic sense. The world doesn't use the word fellowship very much, but you'll find it a good deal in the Bible. In the world, you'll find it at a college, university level. Uh, They talk about being a fellow of a society, a fraternity, or an association. And what that means in that case is it's a friendly association. They have a couple of things in common. They might have some kind of a fellowship around canoeing or something like that. And they have in common that they like the outdoors and they like canoeing. But there's not much more to it than that. The Bible means so much more when it talks about fellowship. Uh, The old old, uh, illustration that's really not adequate is if you think of a little ship, a little boat. Something you might put out onto the water here. And you can have two fellows and a ship. And what they have in common is that they're both heading in the same direction and they're both working toward the same purpose, getting that little vessel to go where they want it to go and to do what they want to do when they get there. But those two people on that ship might not be getting along. They might not care for each other. They might not agree about the plans for for the day. Christian fellowship means two people that have something in common. They're sharing a mutual interest and they have love toward one another and they have agreement in matters of faith and what they believe and and matters of practice. That's Christian fellowship from one Christian to another. Christians can fellowship with God and that's the first most important meaning of it. That means to commune with God. That means to share with God in an intimate relationship. We can fellowship with God, we can fellowship with other Christians, but to have fellowship with God, we must be separate from sin and from evil. And according to the Bible, we Christians can have fellowship with the darkness of this world and with devils. Of course, we're commanded not to do this. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11, Paul writes, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. You say, what's that mean? Make a judgment and correct them. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20, But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. That's talking about going down to the local... Uh, temple, say in Ephesus, the temple of Diana of the Ephesians, and going down there and and having some sort of a get-together with the other guys in the union, you know, and sharing a meal and talking about plans coming up in the next year and the next quarter. That's what they would do. And Paul said, you're not to have fellowship with them anymore. Not down there at the temple. Not supposed to be eating those things. Sacrificed idols. Make a younger brother stumble, even though you know those idols are nothing. But Paul said, don't fellowship with devils. You can't come back to the Lord's table and commune with the Lord and with His people in a loving relationship of agreement and fellowship with the Lord partaking in the body of Christ and be fellowshipping with devils at the same time is what Paul was saying. You see, you can't talk about fellowship really unless you're talking about separation. The two really, are, they go hand in hand. They're like twin sisters in the Bible. You've got to deal with both at the same time. I think it'll be helpful for me if I illustrate the meaning of fellowship in this way. I'll use a word uh, that the Bible uses and an illustration that you find in the Bible. The Bible talks about walking together. 
It talks about walking quite a bit. I think it's just something that all of us understand, you know. My, my sister has uh, baby Phoebe at home, and baby Phoebe is a lot of fun to watch on Marco Polo, and, and uh, she's already talking, and she smiles all the time, which doesn't surprise me because Judy and Kevin are such happy people, and, and, uh, and they're waiting for that day when she takes her first step and, and, and is walking. I remember the first time I saw uh, baby Ember walking in church. What a blessing that was. And to see her um, taking another little girl by the hand and walking her through the church, that's a blessing. We understand that, you know. And we do the walk of life, don't we? Later on, we get to the end of our lives, and we're not walking as steady as we used to. So we might have to use a cane, might have to use a staff, might have to use a, a walker, or even a wheelchair when we get to the end of our lives. And when we lose our mobility, it's a tough thing for us to take. Walking is, is something that God knows we understand. And, and in Amos chapter 3, verse 3, it says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? This is a great illustration of fellowship. Two people walking together in agreement. Think of Adam in the garden. When did the Lord come to visit Adam in the garden? We gather that he came in the cool of the day. That each day, at the end of the day, the Lord would come to the garden in a physical appearance, uh, pre-New Testament time, so it would be Jesus Christ in a theophany or a Christophany, we call it, that Jesus would take on a physical human form. And the Lord came to talk to Adam. And, and I suppose that the Lord wanted to ask Adam how his day went. He, because he put him there in the garden. He said, Adam, I want you to be here in the garden and I want you to take care of things and... and uh, take care of the plants and everything that's growing there. And, and imagine the earth before the curse, you know, it had all the nutrients in the soil that hadn't been leached out yet and how well things would have grown. They would have grown faster and bigger and fuller. And God is talking to Adam about all these things. And Adam, you know, is probably saying, Lord, it's just amazing. And, and this is beautiful what you created over here in this species. This is what I'm calling this and that, you know. And, and, and God saying to Adam, you know, this, this world's a whole lot bigger than this, this one garden right here, Adam. I got a lot going on around the world that you haven't seen yet. And what I want you to do is I want you to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And Adam's trying to figure out how that's supposed to happen, you know, all by himself. And, and the Lord wanted to fellowship with him. He created man because he wanted to spend time with man. And uh, it's clear that the creator enjoyed spending time with his creation. But before long, something terrible happened, didn't it? Adam disobeyed the command of God. <laughs> he, he, he hid himself in the garden, took his wife, hid from God, and then when God came walking through the garden, looking for Adam, saying, Oh, Adam! Adam, where are you? What was Adam doing? He was hiding and ignoring God. Don't forget that. You know, that's what we have a tendency to do as sinners. We have a tendency, even as Christian sinners, sinners saved by grace, that when we get into sin, we have a tendency to think that we can hide from God. And then when God comes knocking on our door, dealing with our conscience, what do we do? Oh, it's so sad. It's so tragic. It's so wrong. But we ignore God, don't we? we like that, that preacher that was here, and he had a little puppet of the dog. And he said, if you spell dog backwards, it spells God. And he says, you know, a lot of times we treat God like a dog. You can ignore a dog. 
And uh, we do that, and Adam was doing that, and finally the Lord found him, and, and, and he said, what are you doing hiding there in the bushes? What are you doing covered up with those fig leaves, you know? And they had a conversation about that. What happened was Adam chose to disobey God, and the Bible says, Isaiah 59, verse 2, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. God told Adam, you're going to have to get out of this garden. You, you can't enjoy this holy fellowship with me anymore in this way. And God pushed Adam and Eve out of the garden, made sure that they couldn't get back in. And they would be, have to endure hardships and scratch out an existence in a cursed world. Yes, fellowship could be restored, but the conditions were different now. But that's Christian fellowship. That's a great example of it. Two people just walking together. And listen, brother, sister, how can you walk together in life with somebody else unless you're in, in agreement with them? That's what Amos said. Can two walk together except they be agreed? If you're walking together with somebody else and you're not in agreement with them, you can't have fellowship with them. Not real fellowship. Or if you are having fellowship with them, you're having to compromise something in your life. And it's fellowship that is forbidden by God in that case. Now under our question, um, people who are getting grounded in their Bible and starting to study the Bible and they, they see these things and they ask the question oftentimes, they say, how will I know who I can fellowship with as a Christian? If I can't just fellowship with anybody, how will I know who I can fellowship with? He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. I'd like to say simply this, don't be a companion of fools. Those are pretty strong words. The Lord's saying you will destroy yourself. It will ruin your life. So I'd like to say something here, and young people, I'd like to say something to you, and I'd like to ask you if you would listen if you'd give me a shot to talk to you this morning. But this isn't just for young people. This is for everybody. Because this, this matter of companionship, of friendship, this can affect us all, all the way through life. From our various early, very earliest days, uh, companionship can affect a three- and a four-year-old, can it, honey? As well as a 30- or 40-year-old, or a 70- or 80-year-old. This matter of who you choose to be your friend is very important. But it's especially important when you're in the days of your youth. You say, why? Because you lack experience. Because you lack uh, experience in how people can be. And, and it's hard for you to see people's true colors. You know, people can be married for years and then go through a bad divorce and say, I feel like I never knew that person. They were a totally different person than what I thought. You see? It takes experience, and it's no small matter. A companion of fools shall be destroyed. So that's my first point, no small matter. Some choices in life are more important than others. If you think about it, I'll give you several life-changing choices. Number one, will you or will you not take Jesus Christ as your Savior? That's the most important decision you can make in your life. Will you or will you not place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? When you do that, it will change your life. 
Of course, when you first get saved, about the only thing that you understand is this. You understand, well, uh, God's my Father. I understand that. He sent His Son. He loved me so much, He didn't want me to die in my sins and go to hell. So I'm trusting that Jesus uh, took care of my sins on the cross. And Jesus promised that if I'll believe in Him, that I'll have everlasting life. And I understand. Jesus can forgive my sins. A brand new Christian, they don't know much, but they do know this. Their sins are forgiven. They're not on their way to hell. God is their Father. And they got a Savior. They don't know much, but they know that. But that is life-changing. You say, why is it life-changing? Well, God begins a work in your life of making you like His Son, Jesus Christ. And it's life-changing also because you go about and you start telling everybody, hey, I got saved. I mean, if you really got saved. You understand? A person who really gets saved, they start going around and telling everybody about it. They get excited about it. Uh, God give us more of that brand new baby excitement when you're just a babe in Christ. And they start telling everybody, man, I got saved. You should get saved too. They start getting excited about the Word of God. And you tell them, get into the Bible. Where should I go? Well, start in the Gospel of John and start learning more about Jesus. Fall in love with Jesus. He saved you from your sins. He wants you to be with Him in heaven forever. And He's made that possible now. And get to know Him more. And they start reading their Bible, studying, and they start having questions. They just get excited about it. You say, why, why does that happen? Because they're newborn babes and they're hungry for something now they've never been hungry for in their lives. And that is the bread of the Word of God. The milk of the Word of God. They want that. Uh, that'll change your life. Here's another one that'll change your life. Where will you go to school for undergraduate work? Talking about when you graduate from high school. Where will you go to school when you're doing your undergraduate, like associates or bachelors? And what career will you choose? This can change your life. Better make sure you choose the right school, young person. Better make sure that you choose a school that you can handle, better let your parents help you in this. You know what our colleges and universities are? They are breeding grounds for infidelity. They make infidels. They make people like David Crosby, who just died at the age of 81. Crosby, Stills, and Nash. The, the, the day before he died, he texted this on Twitter. He was on Twitter a lot. He texted, texted this on Twitter. Somebody sent him a little article about who gets to go to heaven and who doesn't. People with tattoos don't get to go. And people with, who drink alcohol don't get to go. And it's a complete misunderstanding. Just a, a worldly person, just not understanding the Bible at all. And he, he replied back to her and then retweeted it and said this. I've heard that heaven is overrated. Dot, dot, dot. Cloudy. You say, what's that? That's an infidel. You know where he got that from? From the thinking of the 60s, from the colleges, that's what they create. Infidels. Heaven is overrated and cloudy. And then the day after that, he went out into eternity. Boy, that's terrifying, isn't it? He got to thinking like that because he comes from the counterculture. The, the, the people who believed in free love. You can just go around and, and shack up with anybody that you want to. He, he got that stuff. He got humanism from the, the colleges. He got Marxism from the colleges. They, they started to, to scoff at the Word of God in this country 
at about that time and, and, and take prayer out of it. There was a whole movement in this country to turn against God and to change one generation at a time. And it happened with the professors being trained in the universities and in the colleges. And those professors became teachers in the public school system. It made infidels out of our kids today. And that's just how it happened. You say, what should we do? That's between you and God. I'm not saying you, you, you shouldn't go to a secular university. My sister went to OUZ. She went to a smaller branch of a college and got her nurse's degree and has done just fine. But listen, she was strong in her faith. She was confronting her professors. She was strong. So if you have a child that you know is not a leader and they're always the follower and they're always being influenced in the wrong direction, you might say to yourself, if I send them to OU, it will ruin them. Listen, young person, if you're saved and you love the Lord and you're in a church and you believe the Bible and you believe the most important thing is evangelism, world evangelism and missions, that Jesus is coming back soon, why would you not go to a Christian college? I'm, I'm, these tired, tired arguments. Uh, one is, well, they're, they're not accredited. Well, yes, they are. You'll find accredited ones. Uh, well, I don't want them to go there because if they get a, a degree there, they're not going to be as well equipped as other ones. You mean they're not going to become infidels like the other ones? Because the education is every bit as good, if not better. You want, to, you want somebody to be a teacher? Send them down to Pensacola Christian College. If you want them to be a nurse, that's a great place to go. If they can get in, that program is so full because it's so good. That's a great place to go. Why wouldn't you say to your young person... I'll help you out with college, but I want you to go to one year of Bible school before you go to your chosen. I want you to grow a little bit. Why wouldn't you do that? We're Christian people, right? We love the Lord. We believe in the cause of Christ, right? Why don't people in this area do that? I don't get it. I don't get it. There, there's no reason why you shouldn't send your young person to a Christian Bible institute or Bible school for a year after they graduate from high school. Let me tell you a great bonus. That's a good place to meet a spouse. There's nothing wrong with that. Amen, 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 amen. Nothing wrong with that. But listen, whatever you do, young person, you say, I know that God wants me to do this or that, and this is the place to get the training. I'm not trying to discourage you, and I can't tell you where to go. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I will tell you this. Watch out for infidelity. It's one of the greatest choices that will change your life. They will change you. You won't change them. And I know wherever I speak, I've been in those places. Okay? I have a secular degree. Been there. From a liberal college. Yes. So, that's a great question. What career will you choose? Because that will change your life. Who will you marry? The Bible says not to be unequally yoked. Or will you marry? You don't have to marry. These are important questions, and they will change your life. There is such a thing as a gift of singlehood. Supposed to marry. There's some people that God says that they have to stay single, and they can they can manage it. What church will you join if you leave here? If you leave here, you're supposed to immediately find another like-minded church and join up with them and ask for this church to send a letter of transfer. 
That's, that's your duty to God. That's the, your duty not to a Baptist church or a Baptist minister. That's your duty to the Word of God to find another church to join if you should decide to move. And, and a lot of young people do move. And I did that when I was a young person. I moved out of my hometown. I'm not saying you can't do it. I'm saying what church will you join when you go? Or will you join? Because that will change your life. I'm talking about things that will change your life. Things that are no small matter. Choices that are so important. Listen, one decision, one decision can, can dramatically change the rest of your life. Just one little decision. It's so important. My, I wouldn't want to do it by myself. I think I would want to walk with wise men so I can be wise and make good decisions. You say, who do I know that's wise in my life? Mom and dad. Some of the folks here in, in church. Your preacher. I have some wisdom. I'm not a complete dummy. Right? I, I admit, I'm, I make some blockhead moves sometimes. You can ask my wife about it. But I got some wisdom. Have the Holy Spirit within me, have the Word of God, and I've had some experience. Walk with wise men making these decisions. Here's another important one. What will you do with your money? What house will you buy? Will you buy a house? Will you rent? Important decisions. Where will you live? But listen, one choice is so important. And I would say it's even more important than those except for the one about salvation. And that's this. What sort of friends will you choose as your closest friends? Because this choice will shape your life at any stage. And it will determine your character. Listen. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. I want to say this to the teens, because you're saying, give me something that I can actually use, okay? Because you're just talking about all these scenarios. Give me something that I can actually use. All right, here it is. Choose your friends wisely. You say, how will I know? 